Welcome to episode 54. Fat makes you fat. Is this a myth? Is it a truth? It's hard to know what to do. Our culture has been geared against fat for a good 70 years. And the last five to seven years has been saying it's not the devil it was made out to be. And it is in fact sugar. And that we're all victims of botched science. And even I have published an episode talking about just that on episode number 11. Might be worth checking out before or after you listen to this episode. But here on this episode, we have a medical doctor who is actually refuting the latest science, and wrote a book on the fact that the original botched data was in fact not botched, and it's truer now than ever. (laughs) This is probably the first episode where I can't really believe what I'm hearing from a guest, but debate is healthy, and I encourage it. (laughs) So stick around for this show, because it's, it's interesting. First, though, I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone that attended the events I spoke at over the weekend in New Zealand. I went over to speak at four workshops, weather delayed planes made that just three, but it still was really great to get over there and share some nutrition and health knowledge and just introduce people to the idea that they can evolve themselves into a new and improved version of themselves. I love doing this stuff, especially working with groups of people at once because the stories and experiences of others can really lift up other people in the group. And the journey of a community is such a powerful dynamic. And also, I just want to acknowledge my fellow speakers whom are all amazing. I look up to them all like mentors. They're phenomenal humans and have become really good friends over now speaking at multiple events together and whom also contributed to really helping people make some great shifts. Also, the podcast trended in New Zealand whilst I was there. So that's pretty cool too, right? (laughs) Hashtag podcast celeb. (laughs) Anyhow, the fat debate must be heard. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously. So you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? How you doing? All right, I hope. Now, I'm glad that you've joined us today because we have a super interesting guest on the show that has some information to share which seems to be going against the grain, or at least against the hype of the last few years when it comes to diet. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to say a quick hey and a big thank you to my healthy friends in Singapore, which is the latest place for me to have popped up in the podcast charts. So I'm very grateful to be able to add you guys to the list of diverse countries and cultures that have been listening to my show. Thank you so much. And a big props to the internet for making that possible. All right, today's guest, let's get into it. So who have we got? We have Dr. Evan Allen, who has been practicing medicine for over 25 years and owns and runs two practices in Henderson, Nevada in the USA, which is just outside of Las Vegas. And he also holds a board certification from the American Board of Obesity Medicine. When Dr. Allen began to pay more attention to nutrition, which as we know on this podcast is not very common for medical doctors to do, the health of his patients improved. This discovery sent him on a search for a resource to provide him with the dietary education he needed to help his patients. But in that search he came up empty-handed. So he decided to write his own book called Oversaturated, which aims to give healthcare providers what he never had, a guide to talking to their patients about a healthy diet, specifically that's low in saturated fat. And so I'd like to extend a big warm welcome to the show, Dr. Allen. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And thanks for having me on. Uh, I have uh, 
a long history with Singapore. I was born in the Philippines and my brothers used to go to school in Singapore when I was a kid. So it's nice to hear someone from Singapore will be hearing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was. I, I always get these uh, seemingly random countries pop up, but I just forget sometimes the capacity of, uh, you know, the internet just sends this stuff everywhere. Yeah, that's great. So you've recently released the book, Oversaturated, which as we sort of discussed briefly in the intro, um, is your conclusion that saturated fat was bad for the body. Can you kind of share your journey as to how you came to this c- conclusion and then publishing the book? Sure. So I... Uh, did a fairly traditional family practice residency and had gone to medical school at Loma Linda University, which you would think had, would give you the best chance at getting a good overview of nutrition. But really, the amount of teaching was limited and the amount of effect that we tried to uh, have on our patients with changing in their, in their nutritional habits or their lifestyle habits in general was limited to quit smoking and you know don't really eat a bunch of packaged cookies and cakes and pies and brownies and ice cream. Those are, those are bad for you and not much else. And not to, not to mention that's good advice. People should follow that advice. That's excellent advice. (laughs) But, uh, I really sort of didn't get a grounding enough that I was confident of my knowledge in nutrition, which I think is a real problem in medicine. And so when the media landscape started to change and there was this talk that saturated fat had been wrongly vilified and that it was actually fine and the Time magazine cover and all that, I sort of uh, bought into that mindset for a while. And I was advising my patients to avoid carbohydrates in general. And I had been vegetarian since birth, so I didn't want to add in meat, but I was doing what would be a low carb vegetarian version of a diet where you know you eat a lot of cheese and eggs and butter and uh, try to avoid your pastas and breads and things like that. And what happened was I developed a fatty liver from this, which you know from what I now know about nutrition is not surprising, but I was sort of shocked at that time. And I started to dig deeper into nutrition and trying to understand what was going on with it. I had a medical student at the time and I assigned them a project to figure out uh, what diets were most associated with, you know, good long-term health outcomes. And because I was assigning it, I wanted to do a little bit of the research myself. And when I did the research, what I found was fairly overwhelming and very one-sided and almost exactly the opposite of what you would find reading the New York Times and the standard modern media outlets, uh, including the famous Time magazine cover here in the United States where it said butter is back and that sort of thing. What I found instead was that saturated fat was uniquely harmful, caused all kinds of negative health outcomes, and that limiting saturated fat, regardless of whatever else you do with your nutrition profile, is one of the easiest and single most important things for improving overall metabolic health. And then I tried to find a book that I could send patients to to find out about this information, and I really couldn't find one. So three years ago, I decided I would have to write that book. Nobody's come out with one that's comparable in the meantime to make me feel stupid about spending my time on this. And we just published the book last month. And I think the book is, in general, for most people, a fairly quick read. It's a fairly easy read. And it's going to give you the uh, landscape for my conclusions about saturated fat in much more detail. 
Yeah, right. Um, and I guess as well, for people that don't know, Loma Linda, where you did your residency, is known as an extremely healthy area and people live for whatever reason, much longer there. So that's just kind of a reference for the listeners. Um, so your stance on saturated fat is that it's 100% bad? Is that fair to say? I would say that anytime you're eating a food that has added saturated fat or is naturally high in saturated fat, that's going to be long-term harmful to your health. Yes. There's some amount of naturally occurring saturated fat in just about any foods because all living things have cell membranes and some cell membranes will have some amount of saturated fat. So it's impossible to get to zero, as I mentioned in the book. But to attempt to get to zero is probably long-term quite beneficial for health. So does this mean that the Ansel Keys research, and I did a, a podcast on which fat makes you fat a while ago, where I talked about Ansel Keys research that he did in the 50s that then perpetuated the next 70 years worth of industrial and commercialized scale production and consumption of high sugar products right up until today. Does that? Are you sort of suggesting that that research was in fact correct? I am in fact suggesting that all of the research, not just Ansel Keys, that suggests that saturated fat is dangerous was largely correct, yes. And the reason for that is because we have not just Ansel Keys' research, his research could be completely ignored and you could still make an incredibly strong case against saturated fat. You have laboratory animal studies. When we feed laboratory animals large amounts of saturated fat, they develop atherosclerotic vascular disease. You can then reverse that atherosclerotic vascular disease by reversing the diet in the laboratory animals and the vascular disease will go away when you reduce and remove the saturated fat. You can also take cells in its culture. You can drip saturated fat on them. You'll see predictable biological changes that are not health-promoting changes generally. And you can see ones that tend to promote insulin resistance. You can also make cellular changes that are associated with the development of diabetes and, of course, vascular disease as well. And then we have epidemiological studies run by people other than Ansel Keys that show that diets high in saturated fat are generally associated with more non-communicable diseases and diets low in saturated fat are associated with much lower rates of those non-communicable diseases. So even if we ignore Ansel Keys entirely, the case against saturated fat is very strong. For example, uh, Ansel Keys had nothing to do with Cuba in the 1990s when the Soviet Union uh, stopped supporting them and they went through what was called the special period there. What happened was that the Cubans couldn't really eat much saturated fat at all because they had no money, but they grew a lot of sugar cane. So they actually increased their sugar intake to about 27% of total calories. And what happened to their health during this time? Body mass indexes went down, their uh, diabetes rates dropped, and their heart disease rates dropped. What this suggests is that, uh, and, and I, I stand behind no one to say sugar is not a health food, what it suggests though is sugar by itself without the saturated fat that usually goes with it is not nearly as damaging. Right. So as you might be able to tell, I'm having a hard time making sense of this given my understanding of nutrition. Um, and 
how do you explain then the last 70 years of health nutri- health advice, nutrition advice, um, all of these things which has resulted, particularly in America, and you would see this every day, particularly in America and the world with everybody being fat, sick and nearly dead as a result of these high sugar, high carb diets. And, and again, and just like you said, I'm not suggesting that you know carbs and sugar are all bad um, at, by any stretch of the imagination, but th- some, something has severely gone wrong here. Like in you know the health communication, nutrition communication, whether it be corporate interest, whether it be the wrong messages in our homes, you know, passing down to children, what has gone wrong then? If not the high sugar, high carb sort of perpetuated culture. Well, it's very very easy to determine that high sugar foods are bad, but it's very very hard to sort that out because if you look at most high sugar foods, they're also relatively high in saturated fat. Most people who are eating sugary foods are eating cookies, cakes, pies, brownies, ice cream, Pop-Tarts, and these types of foods. And these foods have both high sugar and high saturated fat. And that's what we see in epidemiological studies is that saturated fat and sugar correlate very closely with about a 0.8 correlation. So high sugar diets are generally also high in saturated fat. And so you really have to find a way to tease that out. Now, the Cuban... Historical experience is one way to tease that out. It's easy enough to look at the experience of China. China, up until 1980, had a very, very high carbohydrate diet, but a very low sugar diet. And they had very low rates of obesity and very low rates of non-communicable diseases. Since 1980, the amount of fat in the diet has gone up dramatically. And the amount of sugar that's being consumed has stayed relatively flat, not not a particularly high sugar consumption diet, but the amount of fat and saturated fat has gone up dramatically. And so you see obesity has increased dramatically in China. You can look at the United States and find the same pattern. In the United States, the states that have the highest fat consumption in general are in the deep south, and that's going to be places like Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana. And those places have the highest rates of obesity and the highest rates of diabetes. It's not the places that are eating Mediterranean diets that are high in pastas and breads that are getting high rates of diabetes. It's the places that are eating, you know, Northern European and, and, and Southern American diets where there's lots of fat and lots of uh, saturated fat specifically. Just as you said, it's, uh, it's hard to tease out these things, but... I mean, trans fat is currently being banned in the US. It must be coming close to the end of the three-year period. So it's all of those uh, products that you mentioned are loaded with trans and partially hydrogenated fats, which are the really damaging ones to the point that they're banning them banning the use of them in these products. So how do you tease out those in those specific products that saturated fat is the problem over trans fat? Oh, I, I certainly agree that trans fats are also harmful and dangerous. And what, why are trans fats harmful and dangerous? Well, trans fats chemically stack up very, very similarly to saturated fat. Uh, in a cis fat, you have a nice angle at that double bond. And so the fat has a very easy melting temperature. It will be, it will be liquid at room temperature. And so those fats are generally going to be oils and they're going to be capable of going rancid at room temperature. The reason trans fats were used was because they could substitute for saturated fat because the trans bond leaves the carbon chain relatively straight in exactly the same way the saturated fat does. And therefore, those fats are solid at room temperature and less likely to cause, uh, less likely to go rancid. And that makes them popular 
for the food industry. The food industry in the same way... Yeah, that's, a, that's a corporate interest, though. Sure, but in the same way, they're replacing trans fats with saturated fats now. They're using coconut oil and palm oil. And guess what? You're getting exactly the same effects on health. What does trans fat do? It raises LDL cholesterol. Saturated fat does that. It causes an inflammatory response in the body. Saturated fat also does that. And so there's just not that much distinction between trans fats and saturated fats. The reason we can outlaw trans fats is because they're produced industrially. And so we can identify them as a non-generally regarded as safe food product. Saturated fats, unfortunately, are produced by biological organisms, and therefore you can add them and they don't necessarily fall under those criteria. They fall under the generally regarded as safe, and so you can't really outlaw them. But if you could, you would benefit health dramatically. And in fact, there was a saturated fat tax that was passed in Denmark, I think seven or eight years ago, and an analysis of the fat tax showed that a small number of patient, patients did have their lives saved by the additional costs associated with that tax, but it was later rescinded. So, as you said, they're in biological organisms, these saturated fats, so it's difficult to outlaw them, but they're in us. Like, they're used as part of the brain, they're used as the neurons, the myelin sheath that wraps around our neurons and, you know, rockets messages around our body. And with a depletion of that fat in the body, that starts to cause all sorts of issues. So, how can minimizing this to an absolute minimum as you know as low as possible be beneficial biologically now I, I definitely agree and you know sort of talking obesity but there's a general and overconsumption of everything so I, I definitely would agree with you know there's an overconsumption of fat there's an overconsumption of sugar carbs everything people are eating too much but how, how can we say that minimizing uh, saturated fat to an all-time low is going to be beneficial especially to the neurology of, of humans well, we have lots of evidence of cultures that have eaten exactly this way. Uh, the Irish in 1835 ate about 4,000 calories a day per person of white potatoes. Now, white potatoes are 2% calories from fat. Well, what happened to the Irish in 1835? Well, they, they were doing just fine until the potatoes started dying out from the potato blight. And then there was a massive famine and people started dying. But prior to that, they were not suffering from any significant health problems except overpopulation, which was such a big problem that Jonathan Swift had to recommend eating Irish babies uh, satirically to try to solve the problem of the overpopulation. In the same way, we have Asian diets and American diets that we've analyzed, that we know about, that were incredibly low in saturated fat, where people thrived and did very well. Population of Asia has never been a threat. The uh, Aztec population of Tenochtitlan uh, reached a size that was as large as any city in Europe at one point on a diet composed almost entirely of corn, squash, and beans. And so we know for a fact uh, from history that people can eat diets very, very low in saturated fat and do just fine. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. 
Oh, and also, as a special gift, you received my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Could this be a case of correlation is not causation? Because there's so many other factors in our modern society with carcinogens and pollution in the air and the chronic stress that people are experiencing. Could this be a case that, you know, all of those things contribute to these negative health outcomes and saturated fat is just one of many, many variables that need to be adjusted? You know, I don't think that's false. There's certainly problems with health associated with air pollution. There's problems with health associated with cigarette smoking and alcohol consumption. There's certainly not one specific thing. But the uh, earth has right now an epidemic of heart disease and vascular disease. It's the number one cause of death all over the world. We know what causes it. It's caused by elevated ApoB lipoprotein levels, which primarily is LDL cholesterol in the blood. And we know from you know mathematical equations that have been verified in metabolic ward studies that the single biggest driver of elevation of LDL cholesterol in the bloodstream is saturated fat intake. And so uh, to look for reasons why we shouldn't do something about saturated fat just to me flies in the face of just general good common sense. And by the way, even though we have an epidemic of diabetes and an epidemic of obesity in the Western world right now, the death rate from heart disease was actually twice as high as it is now back in the 1960s when people were relatively lean. And that is because back then cholesterol was not taken seriously and nobody was treating anybody's cholesterol and cholesterol levels were considered normal if they were 300 or below. And so you had huge numbers of people dropping dead from heart attacks and strokes back then. And those rates have been cut in half, even as people have gotten heavier and diabetes rates have gone up. I think every dietary period in history has its own drawbacks. And I think that it's very difficult to jump on one particular perspective because obviously you reference the Irish. The Irish still have, you know, all cultures still come forward in, in evolutionary history with their genetic problems as a result of their evolutionary history. So I think there's so many other problems other than saturated fat that contribute to these horrible negative outcomes we're experiencing today. I mean, I don't disagree that there are other factors that contribute to it, but um, in Ireland, the rate of diabetes between 1835 and 1917 went up an astronomical amount. And what had happened primarily, and the biggest difference wasn't a difference in sugar calories or carbohydrate calories, but an addition of a significant number of calories from fat so that Calories from fat went from something like 6% of calories to 27% of calories. And a significant amount of that additional fat was saturated fat. And the reverse should be the case if it weren't causative, right? We should see a society 
that had a dramatic increase in saturated fat associated with an improvement in their rate of non-communicable disease, which I am not familiar with any such society. And we should also find a society that has very high rates of non-communicable diseases, but a very low intake of saturated fat if it's not causative. And we also don't have that as far as I can find. So with the biology of the body, how does the body get its resources in order to optimize the neurofunction of the body, optimize the brain, build our steroid hormones, these types of things that saturated fat do contribute to? Does the body formulate that out of its own body fat then other than dietary fat? Every cell can make saturated fat if it needs it very easily. The machinery is there. Saturated fats are not considered an essential fat. The only types of essential fats are the omega-6 and the omega-3s, the LA and the ALA. But Again, we don't see any clinical cases ever of a saturated fat deficiency. And so the body is capable of making this on its own. The body can also make all the cholesterol that it needs. It does not require any exogenous cholesterol. You don't find people who are deficient in cholesterol and need to have it added back in. So the cells can manufacture these all on their own. I, I think in Australia, you have an animal called a koala bear that only eats eucalyptus leaves. And it uses eucalyptus leaves to manage every single thing that it needs to build an entire koala bear. And it's got it's evolved to be able to handle that as a single source food. And so it makes all of its protein, all of its fat, and all of its sugar from the eucalyptus leaves. And it's evolved to do that. In the same way, humans on a fairly traditional human diet of some sort of starch, which can be oats, barley, rye, rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, corn, uh, and then some sort of bean, pretty much all cultures eat a bean, whether it be lentils or garbanzo beans or lima beans or uh, azuki beans in Japan or any number of other beans. Most cultures will have those as well. And then with some sort of leafy vegetables and fruits uh, with occasional treat foods, you know, nuts, seeds, uh, they'll have a festival where they'll uh, hunt and and gather an animal. The Aztecs ate human hearts. You have these diets and they're all very well known, very well analyzed. In Japan, butchery was outlawed from 950 to about 1850. So there was certainly not a large amount of saturated fat or animal protein at all in the Japanese diet during this period of time. And Japan did just fine. But we're we're moving forward as a culture. We're moving forward as a society, as a civilization. And I think that there's absolute credence to the idea of human optimization. We're always trying to be better, do more things, enhance our cognition, enhance our bodily function and capacity and and reverting to a diet. I mean, personally, generally, paleo, I think, is a good idea because it allows a variety of different colors and different foods and the polyphenols and the bioflavonoids from different and a diverse range of foods. And, and, and reverting back to a time in history where we had three colors on our plate, to me, is not in the interest of human evolution moving forward. Well, the question is what optimizes health? And there's plenty of evidence that saturated fat doesn't optimize health at all. Um, I was reading a study today that's not in the book that uh, documents pretty clearly the mechanism whereby saturated fat causes the brain itself to be insulin resistant and causes certain neurons to actually uh, go through what's called apoptosis, which is a type of cell suicide. Uh, 
So I really feel like if you analyze the the corpus of scientific data, it suggests that saturated fat should be limited to less than 6% of total calories. Now, again, that's not zero because there's no real way to get to zero, but it does mean that you're going to be limiting yourself on a normal human diet to something less than 15 to 20 grams of saturated fat, depending on body size. And that's really a very, very small amount to compare to what's common in many Western diets. For example, a slice of cheesecake has, I think, 18 grams of saturated fat. So what it really means is that people have not taken seriously enough the fact that heart disease and vascular disease are our number one cause of death and that they're largely, at least 90%, according to most estimates, preventable. And if the number one cause of death is largely preventable and people are doing nothing about it, that strikes me as a failure on the part of the healthcare system. Just before I make my next comment, I just wanted to just touch on the use of the word cell suicide with apoptosis. And just for the listeners, because people that don't understand apoptosis, it's programmed cell death. And in many cases, you want that to happen. It's a, it's a part of the body that cleans, cleans out. So I, I just, sorry, I just wanted to, that suicide word just sounds a bit scary. That's all. Oh, sure. It's, it's sometimes very important, especially in embryological development. But a functioning healthy neuron in the brain, probably that's not a good thing and would not be something you necessarily want. Yeah, absolutely. So you must hate the keto diet then. <laughs> uh, there are versions of the keto diet that would be low in saturated fat that would probably be relatively healthy. And that's what the research suggests as well, that people who do keto diets that uh, can find a way to do it that's low in saturated fat can get deep, reasonably good outcomes. But people who eat a keto diet that's high in saturated fat generally have higher levels of mortality and higher levels of non-communicable diseases. So certainly as a general recommendation for the general population, I would not recommend a keto diet. And I would strongly recommend against it for anybody uh, who's a child unless that child has intractable seizures. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just uh, it's not not very sustainable either. Um, it's and you know it's had some success, but just as much as any new fad or you know new popular thing that's going on in the nutrition world. But um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I mean, there's good some good clinical information in a cancer context for it as a metabolic disease and and epilepsy, obviously. But um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, question: So, what kind of foods then? On the natural side of things, you know, obviously anything that's in a bag, a box, or a can is generally not healthy. But, um, like, so we're talking like avocados, you know, cheese or dairy in that regard, dark chocolate, cacao, eggs, oily fish. They're the usual foods, or n- and nuts and seeds. They're the usual foods that people go to for healthy fat. W- where do you sit with those foods? Should they not be in the diet? Should they? Well, so I, I challenge the concept that you need loads of healthy fat. To start with, the body can make almost all the fats that it needs and the ones that it can't make, it doesn't need in particularly high amounts. So I think adding a whole bunch of fat to your food can be a real problem. And again, uh, foods like olive oil that have a health halo around them still have loads of calories. So if you're worried about obesity, you're going to be talking about a difference of nine calories per gram versus four calories per gram for any other food. But in addition, There's a significant amount of saturated fat in just about any 100% fat food. So if you want to reduce your saturated fat and replace it by putting olive oil on everything, and while you were fairly careful with butter because you knew butter wasn't very good for you, but you think olive oil is good for you, so you 
throw it around on everything, you could end up eating the same or even more saturated fat because olive oil is about 15% calories from, from saturated fat. So in general, what I recommend when I'm seeing patients is you don't know anybody who's been admitted to the hospital for a fat deficiency and told they needed additional fat. You've never read about a case of that. That's never been an episode of House. And you really don't need to stress about it much unless you're underweight. If you're underweight, then you very well may need to add additional fats in because you just need concentrated calories. And in those cases, I do make that recommendation. But again, I try to avoid the saturated fats. Other than that, these healthy fats are going to be present in the cell membranes of just about any food. And so you can get them from just about any food. But, uh, you know, for someone who's healthy, I don't really have a problem with avocados and nuts and seeds and olives and foods like that that are relatively high-fat plant foods. Uh, they do tend to be higher in saturated fat than some other plant foods, but not dangerously so. But foods like cheese, which is the number one source of saturated fat in the American diet, I really think are, are foods that should be strictly limited or eliminated. The dairy industry loves to publish analyses showing that cheese is part of a healthy diet. And what they do is they compare cheese to red meat and try to show that cheese is better, which is you know, probably true. It's probably better to shoot yourself with a 22 than with a bazooka as well. But it does <laughs> not mean that you should get shot. And so saturated fat from cheese is much more harmful probably than getting calories from some non-saturated fat source. And that's what the, that's what the evidence shows. And again, whoever it was doing the research, there's been many more than a single researcher who have investigated saturated fat. And in fact, even Gary Taubes himself published a paper where he admitted that substituting polyunsaturated fat for saturated fat was largely health-promoting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely hear what you're saying on the perspective stuff and um, in regards to context. Um, and I'm, as the listeners already probably know, I'm not a huge fan of dairy unless you can find it organically. But I guess we're getting to the end of the interview. Um, as, and I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned sort of somewhere in there. And you were talking about the fact that you, you know, you've never been in a clinical context where, you know, sat, uh, fats come up as an issue or it's been one of the problems. But my response to that would be just as we discussed in the beginning, um, there's no real correlation with medical education and nutrition. So I work in a a hospital. I'm a part of mortality meetings, morbidity meetings, and nobody ever mentions fat or dietary intake because nobody has a clue about it. So, you know, it's it's never going to come up in a medical clinical context unless we've got doctors out there like you that happen to have gone outside of their scope of practice by educating themselves appropriately. Sure, but even in even in a clinical context where the doctors don't know much about nutrition, we know when someone has a B12 deficiency or has had bariatric surgery and has a pyridoxine deficiency or something like that, those sorts of things have uh, clinical syndromes where we can identify them, replace the missing nutrient, and make the patient immediately better. We just don't have that for any of the common fats. Right, right. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, where can everybody find you online and find your book? So the easiest way uh, to find the book is probably just to go on Amazon and search for the title Oversaturated. I think I have that space to myself uh, with my name. And then I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at eallen0417. And uh, I pretty much post uh, something about uh, research on saturated fat or something about what I've found out 
fairly regularly. Great. All right. And for all the listeners, as usual, I'll post all of Dr. Allen's uh, content and links in the show notes below. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode or you found it interesting or learned something, take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram or social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you like to hang out online. And I'm super grateful for your time, Dr. Allen. And when I wrap up, I love to ask this question, but I feel like I know what your answer is going to be already. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? I wish more people knew that it's really, really unnecessary to die from heart attacks and strokes and they have the power to prevent them themselves. Great. I love that. I love that. It's definitely a big part of the message here on the podcast, taking responsibility and being in control of your future. Thanks so much. I'm really grateful for your time. I'm so glad that we got to do this. We might have to do it again uh, you know, in the future and dig a bit deeper into some of the science. Wonderful. I'd love, love to be back and I had a great time talking to you. Wonderful. Thanks so much. We'll catch you soon. Okay, thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.